doing that, I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning. We are going to be, in many ways, looking at a passage that I should say in many ways is a, a, a continuation of, even on some level, the culmination of our study this summer. This summer we looked at the Ten Commandments. And so we spent ten weeks in the Ten Commandments studying each of the commandments in uh, in, in detail, really zeroing in uh, one at a time and working our way through the Ten Commandments. And then last week, we spent uh, our time both Sunday morning and Sunday night looking at another key event in the story of the Exodus. So we know that the Ten Commandments is a part of this journey that the children of Israel were on that we refer to now as the Exodus. And it was God leading them out of captivity in Egypt into the promised land, the fulfillment of the promise that he had made to their forefathers. And, and in many ways, they were receiving the inheritance that God had promised generations before. And that's a part of the unfolding story of the Old Testament, God's choice of Israel as his chosen people, and in many ways, establishing the line through which Jesus would come. All of that together fits as this grand narrative, this this. Sometimes we refer to it as the meta-narrative or the grand story, the overarching story of the Old Testament, how God was working through a chosen people to bring about Christ. Well, what I want us to see today in, in this study, in this particular text in Deuteronomy, is the, the key transition in this journey from the leadership of Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, now to the, the transferal to the leadership of of Joshua. This will wrap up our study of the Ten Commandments and what God was doing and the leadership in the life of the children of Israel. And next Sunday, we'll have a special guest with us, a guy named Preston Condra will be here. Preston has written a book called By Which We Are Saved, and it is a study through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And on Sunday nights this fall, we're going to be looking at this book. It's going to be the the guideposts that we use for the sermon series that I'm going to do on Sunday nights this fall. And so you'll have an opportunity to buy this book for $10 next week. You'll also have an opportunity to meet Preston and hear more about his heart. And I've known Preston for years, going all the way back to my junior high days, because when I was growing up, I grew up in Moore, grew up at the First Baptist Church in Moore, and we had a youth pastor whose name was Mike Taylor. And then underneath Mike Taylor, there were two other guys that were a, a huge part of our student ministry. One of them focused on high school. One of them focused on junior high. And one of those guys was a, a guy named Brad Davis. Now, you know the name. Many of you who've been around here for years know the name Brad Davis because Brad came to be the youth pastor here at First Chickasha. In fact, I was in the ninth grade in Moore when Brad came to be the youth pastor here at Chickasha and was here for a number of years. Well, the other guy that was partners along with Brad in leading out in these, these age divisions in our student ministry was Preston Condra. We called him PC. So there was PC and Brad. Those were the two guys back in the day who were a big influence in my life. And, um, and Preston is going to be here next week to share about this book and, and kind of the heart behind it. And really, as much as anything, talk about the motivation for writing this. And the, and the point of the book is that we would understand the gospel the way that it's spelled out in 1 Corinthians 15, and that we would also be equipped to share our faith using the Scripture. And so that'll be a great Sunday, next Sunday morning, and then we'll launch into this on Sunday nights this fall. So we want to encourage you to be back for that.
Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning, as we get ready to jump into this text, let me tell you a, a kind of a story. When I was in college in the summer of 1999, I was involved with a Baptist collegiate ministry summer mission trip to Malawi, Africa. There was a group of students from Baptist collegiate ministries across college campuses here in Oklahoma that went on a trip to Malawi together. And we had about a month, it was uh, five weeks that we spent in Malawi. And this was at a period in time in the late 90s when this country, Malawi, had been ravaged by the effects of the AIDS crisis. And so essentially there was a, a generation of people that had been killed off by, by AIDS and, and by the, the transmission of AIDS, which we know affected not just Malawi, but of course uh, affected just vast numbers throughout the continent of Africa in the late 90s and and early 2000s, and even is still an issue today in, in many ways. And so it was such an interesting study of sorts to be in a country where there were no elders, where there, at least there were very few elders, because many of the older generation had, had been taken out by the effects of this disease, which had spread so broadly amongst the, the culture. And so I don't remember, I won't remember the exact number, but the average life expectancy was somewhere in the mid-30s in those days in Malawi, Africa. And, and wherever we would go, it was so rare to see anyone with, with gray hair. They were like a unicorn almost because there was, again, an entire generation who had died. Well, what's interesting, the reason I bring that up is because that's where my mind went this week in thinking back to that experience in my own life and thinking about what it must have been like for the children of Israel in this period in time that we're going to study in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Last week we saw in Numbers chapter 13, we saw that 12 spies were sent out, 12 heads of the different families or the different tribes of Israel sent into the promised land as the children were in the wilderness. And that they were, they were sent into the, the, the promised land, into Canaan, to observe and come back and report so that the children of Israel might be prepared and ready to go into and receive the promised land that God had given them. And when the spies came back, 10 of the 12 said, it's too much for us. We can't do this. Only two of them came back saying, yes, we can do this by God's hand. And we, we talked about how perspective our perspective is informed by faith. The faith of Caleb and Joshua shaped the way that they saw the circumstance. So whereas 10 of the spies went in and came back and reported, look, the people on the other side are, are huge and their cities are huge and the walls are huge and their fortifications. There's no way we can do this. Joshua and Caleb, believing in faith that God had already promised this to them, had already promised to deliver the enemies into their hands, came back saying, yeah, they're huge, but that's what God's going to give to us. Imagine how incredible it's going to be that God is going to deliver that into our hands. In fact, Caleb, we saw in Numbers 13, Caleb's response was so significant because Caleb came back saying, let's go now. Yes, these people are huge. Yes, their cities are huge. Yes, their armies seem enormous. But God has promised to deliver them to us. Let's go now. We saw how faith shapes the perspective, the way that we see things. Well, 
Then on Sunday night, if you came back last Sunday night, we studied the next chapter, Numbers chapter 14. And in Numbers 14, we saw that God promised, essentially, that he was going to deliver the children into the land that he, had, that he had told them. But this generation, the generation who were in the wilderness, wouldn't live to see it. In fact, the, the judgment that God delivered was everyone above the age of 20 would die in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb would be allowed to enter into the promised land. Everyone else above the age of 20. And so essentially you have now, you have 40 years later, they wandered in, in the wilderness for 40 years. You have a generation who have risen up who have watched their, their elders, their, their parents, those who had gone before them, die. Die off. And, and so... I suppose if you are 19 years old and then you wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, you're 69 years old at this point. But, but they've seen an entire generation, the older generation, die off. And I w- as I was thinking about that and how that must have affected their psyche and their culture and, and the way that they, even the way that they understood their own family histories and these things, I, I thought to my trip to Malawi and, and the way that that the ravages of this disease affected an entire culture because it was a culture with few elders. Well, here is a culture with few elders, few people who, who have been around. In fact, really only Joshua and Caleb at this point are the ones whom God has allowed to, to survive, to lead Israel into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, As the children of Israel prepare to enter into the promised land, Moses, knowing that he will not be allowed to cross over with them, that he will die in the wilderness the way everyone else did, Moses delivers this instruction, this challenge to Israel. Now, what you'll see as we study this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is that even as Moses delivers this instruction, you'll see immediately as we dig into this that there is so much truth for us today in these words. It's as if Moses could have been here today and speaking these words even to us today. They ring just as true now as they would have then. And so I want us to read this. I want us to understand the instruction that Moses is giving because importantly, I want us to see how this continues to speak and instruct us today. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let's start in verse 11. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Now, what commandment is he speaking of here? What instruction? Let's, let's pause in Deuteronomy 30 for a moment and let's look at, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I want you to see the commandment that Moses is giving to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and start in verse 1. Moses is going to lay before the children of Israel a a series of instructions, but basically it's a blessing or a curse. It's, it's, It's this command, either you will obey the Lord or you will not. And if you obey him, you will be blessed. And if you disobey him, you will be cursed. That's what he says, Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I have commanded you today. And he's speaking specifically there to the law. The book of Deuteronomy, actually the word Deuteronomy comes from the word meaning second law. This is the second 
giving of the law, or essentially Moses is restating the law that was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness to a new generation. As they are preparing to enter into the promised land that God is giving to them, he's reminding them, even restating for them the law of all God had called them to do and obey. So here he is, he's delivering them to them the law. So in, in effect, everything that he has said that has been recorded in the book of Deuteronomy to this point is what he's referring to now. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then look down at verse 15, chapter 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And so in between what I've read in, in those verses in chapter 28, he, he is telling them of the blessings of God that they would receive. And then if you pick up from here and read on in chapter 28, he, he lists out the curses that will be theirs if they don't obey God. So here's a choice. Either you will obey God and you will experience blessing, or you will disobey him and your lives will be cursed. You'll experience a curse. Go to chapter 30. Let's go in chapter 30. But before we pick up again in verse 12, let's look at the first three verses of chapter 30. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all your nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. What Moses is telling them is essentially this. You have a choice to make. Either you will obey God and you will experience blessing, or you will disobey and you will be cursed. And if you are cursed, if you disobey and you are cursed, then the Lord will scatter you. In chapter 28 and chapter 29, he, he, he talks about the, the curses that would come upon the children of Israel if they disobeyed. But then a reminder again in verse 30, in these first three verses, but if you will return to the Lord, even in that, if you will turn your hearts back to him, then God will bless you and he will establish you and he will keep you. And so this is the heart of what Moses is saying. If we will be faithful to do what God has called us to do, if we will be faithful to follow his commands, to walk in obedience, then our lives will be blessed because of it. Now, the, the way that that blessing works itself out in our lives, of course, is going to be as unique and as individual as each one of us. Because it's going to be a part of your specific life, circumstance, your situation, and all that God is doing in you and wants to do through you, right? But this is the general promise Walk with the Lord and be blessed, or disobey him and experience the consequences. Let's pick back up in verse 12, chapter 30, verse 12. For the command that I've commanded you, we saw, is not too hard for you, neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. 
If you obey the commandment of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that your Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give them. So here's the choice. You have set before you, he says, a choice, life and death, blessing and curse. And then he begs them, I beg you, I call heaven and earth witness against you. Choose life. And so as we think about this, as we think about what this means, not only for the children of Israel in their day, but even for us today, we understand that we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make that either we will walk in the ways of God and be blessed or we will disobey and experience the consequences. It's for us today, as much as it was for the children of Israel in this day, it is still a choice of life and death, of blessing and curse. Either we will do what God has commanded and instructed us to do and our lives will be blessed by it or we will do things our own way and we will experience the consequences of our rebellion, our disobedience. And just as much as, as Moses stood before the children of Israel and said, I, I plead with you, choose life. I stand here today to plead with you that you would choose life, that you would honor God, that you would walk in his ways, and that you would choose life. But even as I make that plea with you, I want you to see what it looks like to choose life. Look at what he says in verse 19 and verse 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, he says, that you may live. And here, this is a description of what life is all about. Verse 20, loving the Lord your God. So life and fullness of life means loving God, living in fellowship with him. But not only that, obeying his voice, listening to and doing what God has instructed us to do. Holding fast to him, that's the picture of closeness with the Lord, intimacy with him as we walk with him. You remember even a few weeks ago we talked about that we should, that, that we should pursue God because when we pursue him, we, we find contentment in him. We studied the 10th commandment. That, that godliness with contentment is great gain is what it said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the, the passage that we referenced as we were studying the final commandment. Here it is again. Hold fast to him. Have that intimacy with God. Be content in him. For he is your life and your length of days. So what are we to do with this command today? Well, in order for us to 
in order for us to understand, there are four different things I want us to see about the commandment of God. Now, let me also say this. What do I mean when, I, when I'm talking about the commandment of God? In the same way that we have referenced here the commandment given to the children of Israel. We saw it in chapter 28 in those verses that we, that we looked at. What is the commandment for us today? Well, the commandment for us today would be the Word of God. As we talk about what does it mean for us in our context to know and do the commandment of God, we're talking about obeying the Word of God, about knowing and doing what is given to us in the Word of God. I believe that the primary way that God speaks to us as His children today is through His Word, through the Bible, through Scripture. It's not the only means that He uses, but it is the primary means because it's not, it's not subjective, it's objective, right? Here it is in black and white, his revealed word. And even what God might speak to us through prayer, through our circumstances, through others, is going to affirm and confirm what he has already spoken and revealed in his word. He will never speak a word. He will never give you a promise or, or an instruction that somehow contradicts what he's revealed to us in his word. And so when we talk about the command of God and obeying and following the command of God, listening to the voice of God, we're talking about knowing and doing the Word of God says. And there are four points that I want us to see about this commandment from a study of what Moses has spoken to the children of Israel that I think will instruct us in how we are to obey God's commandments today. The first one is this. It's, I want us to see the closeness of the commandment. The closeness of the command. Now this is what I mean by that. That we don't have to wonder where God's command is. It's here it's given to us in his word. It's revealed to us plainly. So much of the time, we overcomplicate following God and, and, and walking in obedience to him because we make it about, we make it about trying to figure out this, this um, esoteric sort of mystical uh, command. That, and, and God has given it to us in plain black and white. Here it is. He wants us to know and do what he has spoken to us in his word. It's not a mystery, although oftentimes in the New Testament we read about the mysteries of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. What, what that is referring to is not about the will of God. It's not that we would somehow, that the will of God is mysterious or uncertain, but the mysteries of Christ that the New Testament refers to is just the simple fact that the gospel doesn't make sense because what we deserve is punishment, and yet by God's grace what he gives us is, is forgiveness. That's the mystery of it all. Why would God do that? Well, Hebrews tells us for the joy that was set before him, that was a relationship with us. So the closeness of the command is this, that God has spoken his command that we may know it. And it's not hidden. It's not shrouded in some cloud of mystery, but God has revealed it to us in black and white that we may know it and that we may do it. Look at even here he says this, the command that I've given you today, in verse 11 he says, is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's close. Jump down to what he says in verse 14. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. 
Now, later in the, in the unfolding story of the children of Israel, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, speaks a word to the nation of Israel about how there would come a day when he would write his commandment on their hearts. And what he's referring to there when he talks about writing his commandment on their hearts, I believe is he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell inside of us as believers that, that essentially brings the truth of God to live, to bear inside of our hearts by faith in Christ. And so as believers today, as followers of Jesus, we have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation, as a deposit of our inheritance in Christ, and also to lead us, to instruct us, to guide us in the ways of God. It's not far off, but literally it is near us because as believers, the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in us, instructing us in the way that we should go. It's the closeness of this command. God's not hidden it, but he's spelled it out. And not only has he spelled it out, he's given us his Holy Spirit that we may know and do his will and his purpose. Do you see this? It's close. It's not hidden away from us. Sometimes in parenting, sometimes our children will get in trouble. One of our kids will get in trouble. And, uh, and oftentimes we have said something to them like, you knew what the rule was. You knew what our expectation was. You knew what you were supposed to do in this situation. It wasn't hidden. We've been very clear with you about what is expected of you. This is what you should do and not this. And every parent deals with that to some degree, right? You set expectations. You set boundaries. You set rules for your children. And you ask them, and really more than ask, you, you expect them to follow the rules. Well, it's the same with God and his leadership to us. He says, look, I... I've spoken my commands. I have revealed them in the word. I have, I have gone to great lengths to communicate to you my desire for you as a people. This is not hidden from you. It's near, it's close, so that you can know these things and you can do them. So we see the closeness of the command. But not only the closeness of the command, but also, importantly, the capacity for the command. The capacity for the command. And what I mean by that is, not only has God brought these commands to us, not only has he given them to us, but we are able, by his grace, to do it. God has not called us to something to walk in a way or to, 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 uh, to strive toward attaining a standard that we cannot do. Now, can we do it on our own? No, we know that. The gospel teaches us that on our own, we can never get there. But God made a way through Jesus so that by faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins and set free, empowered through faith in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. We have the capacity for God's command because God has made a way for us. He speaks this word, Moses, I mean to say, speaks this word here to the children of Israel. Look at look in verse, again at verse 11. He says, this command is not too hard for you. It's not too hard for you. You can do this. Why? Because you know the laws of the Lord. You, you have witnessed this. You've heard his instruction. And then again in verse 14, you can do it. You can do it. You remember the, the movie, The Waterboy with, you know, uh, Adam Sandler, and there was that character that would pop up throughout the movie, right? You can do it. Well, it's, like, it's like God is saying here. It's like through Moses, again and again, he's calling the children to something, but he's saying to them, look, you can do this. You, you've got this. You have the capacity for this. Football 
started this weekend, right? I mean, football is here. Uh, it's a great weekend in Oklahoma because we, we love football. The Cowboys won Thursday night. The Chicks won Friday night. The Sooners won yesterday. It's been a great weekend for football here in Oklahoma. And one of the things that you see in football early in a football season is you see new players who are taking the field and getting lots of playing time, right? Somebody has grown up and moved on, especially in the ranks of high school and and college athletics. Somebody has graduated, somebody has moved on, and now it's time for the young guys to take their place, the young guys to step up. And one of, the, one of the things that you hear a lot of talk about, particularly in college football, is a player's abilities based on a ranking system. They talk about this guy's a five-star athlete, this guy's a four-star athlete. And what they mean by that is that they have measured this guy and, and they have predicted his capacity for success based on his measurements, right? And it has everything to do with how big is he, how strong is he, how fast is he, how much weight can he lift, how high can he jump, all of these things, right? They even measure his mental abilities, right? His, his ability to make certain reads or read a defense or make decisions on the fly. These, these are the measurables. And then They boil all of this down to this ranking system. You're a five-star, you're a four-star, you're a three-star athlete. Well, what God is saying here is he's measured the children of Israel. He's measured them, and he's saying through Moses to them, look, you have the capacity for this. I'm not calling you to something that you can't do. You can do this. So make the choice. Walk in life. Walk in obedience. Experience the promise. It's the capacity to do the command that God has given him. So the the command is close. Not only is the command close, they have the ability, the capacity for it. Next we see this. It's the condition of the command. Go back to chapter 28 and then go again to chapter 30 in the first verses. Look at those verses that we read. Chapter 28, verses 1 and 2 and verse 15. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. And what do we see? You see a series of condition, conditional statements. If, then statements. If you do this, then this will happen. If you walk in the way of the Lord, then you'll be blessed. If you disobey, then you'll be cursed. Conditional statements. The, the condition of the command. We have a choice to make. If we go one way, then we will experience blessing. If we go another way then we will experience curse. But there's a condition here, meaning that it's not a guarantee. God does not promise to bless us regardless of what we do. In fact, what we do matters. Now, we understand that our salvation in Christ is secure because of the work of Christ on the cross. And we don't have to do anything to earn that salvation. In fact, We know that we can't do anything to earn that salvation. It is freely given as a gift of God by faith through his grace, received, unmerited, not earned in any way. But that being said, even the New Testament makes it clear to us, especially in the book of James chapter 2, that the way that we prove, that we genuinely grasp the the heart of the gospel, the way that we demonstrate that our hearts truly have been transformed by the grace of God 
is then that we walk in his ways. We follow his commands. We listen to and obey the voice of God. We don't work to earn our salvation, but rather we work because we have been saved, we have been forgiven and set free. But nonetheless, there is a condition here, even for us as believers in Jesus. Our salvation is secure in Christ, but if we choose to walk in disobedience, if we choose to live in rebellion, straying from the commandments of God, not following his word and his instruction, we will experience the consequences of that. Our lives will not be blessed like they will if we walk in his ways, if we follow his commands, if we keep that closeness, that intimacy, that fellowship with him. There's a, there's a clear call here. If we will walk in the way of the Lord, we will experience his blessing. And if we don't, then we will experience the due consequence of our, of our rebellion against him. So it's the condition of the command. And then finally we see this, the consequence. Now we know that all of our choices have consequences. Consequences can be both good and bad. We often associate the word consequence with negative because we tend to think of, when we think of consequences, we think of what happens when we mess up, when we disobey, when we, when, when we aren't doing what is right. We, we think in terms of consequences that way. But the truth is, there are good consequences to our behavior as well, right? I think of just an, uh, an, obvious, uh, an obvious example would be if we choose to eat healthy and exercise and, and try to take care of ourselves, and the consequence is that we experience good health. And if we don't, then we, then, we, then we get the opposite of that as well. I mean, it's just, it, it, that's, that's an easy example for us to identify with. But life is full of consequences, both good and bad, positive and negative. And the same is true here. Look at verse 19 again. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, and then this next phrase is so key, that you and your offspring may live. See, one of the things that's really, really stirred my heart in reflecting on this passage and thinking on this is the effects, the consequences, not only that my decisions will have on my life, but the effects, the, the consequences that will bear themselves out based on my choices in the lives of, of others, and particularly, I think, of in, in my own children, my offspring, right? That there is a generational sort of effect. A few weeks ago, I was at a meeting where, uh, a meeting with a group of pastors and church leaders where Dr. Hans Dilbeck was speaking. You may not know that name, but Dr. Hans Dilbeck is the, the executive director treasurer, that's his title, of the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. He's, he's been in that role since uh, January of this year. Dr. Anthony Jordan retired and stepped down. That's a name that if you've been around in Oklahoma Baptist life, you know the name of Dr. J. And Dr. Hans Dilbeck, who was the pastor at Quell Springs Baptist Church, took over, assumed that role, was selected to, uh, to step in and, and begin leadership in, in the life of Oklahoma Baptist. And so Dr. Dilbeck was speaking to a group of pastors. And he was talking about just some things that he's learned even since he's taken over in leadership of Oklahoma Baptist life. And there was one thing that he said that I was immediately reminded of when I was studying this passage and I saw that phrase, that you and your offspring. I thought to 
he, he talked about one of the lessons that he learned is that in much of his is in much of his pastoral ministry, he tended to see everything in terms of two and three year cycles. And he said, I wish that I would have seen things more in terms of 20 and 30 year cycles. And he, and he began to talk about just the, the generational effects that he's seen and in and, and this new role of leadership that he has and, and, and providing direction for not just his church, but Oklahoma churches, Baptists all throughout the state of Oklahoma. He talked about how one of the things God had shown him was this sort of this generational effects of choices that are made in churches and families and those things. And, and my mind went to that when I was studying this because I was thinking, you know, how true that is, that in ministry, I see this all the time. That, and, and again, this, this, I mean this both in terms of the positive consequences of our choices and the negative consequences of our choices. That when someone makes a choice to honor the Lord and walk in His ways and do what is right, oftentimes we want instant results. We live in a society where everything, we want it and we want it now, right? Instant kind of uh, made to order, everything now. And yet so much of the time these things, especially when we're talking about someone's life, these things play out with what I would refer to as the long view. That these things play themselves out over time. And, and the same is true with negative consequences as well. Now again, there can be, when we make the decision to do what is right, there can be instantaneous or more immediate results, but there will be long-lasting consequences as well. Just as when we do what is wrong, there might be some instant or instantaneous consequences that we experience, but there are also long-lasting consequences to those choices as well. Think about in your own story, in your own life. You'll, you'll see this to be true, even just, even just reflecting on your life. Think about ways that your life has been impacted by the choices of generations before you. Maybe it was choices that your parents made, choices that your grandparents made. Think about your own family. Think about choices that you've made and perhaps ways that your children, grandchildren, others have been affected by choices that you have. There's a, there's a long view here that Moses is urging, urging the children of Israel. See the long view. See the big picture. Understand that there are consequences for your choices. There are consequences for the things that you do. You and I need to weigh those choices because it affects more than just us, than ourselves. And we need to see that for what it is. So it's the closeness of the command that we see. God's not hidden these things far off. It's here for us to see and obey, that we may know them and do them. Not only that, we have the capacity because God has brought them to us. He's made a way through Jesus for us to know and walk in his truth. We have the capacity for his commands. There's a condition with the command. If we will walk in obedience, then we will be blessed. And if we will walk in disobedience, then there will be cursed. life or death. And, and then the consequence of the command as well. That these things play themselves out in our lives. And we need to understand the consequences for the future of choices that we may be making today. God has given us his instruction. He has called us to walk in his truth. May we listen to and heed the instruction of God. 
And finally, I would say all of this to kind of bring all of this to a point. The tendency might be to hear all of this and think, oh my goodness, this is too much for me. Like if I, I, am, I am paralyzed by fear when I begin to think about all the things in my future, all the, all the ways that my life might be impacted positively or negatively in the long term by choices that I'm making today. There, there's a tendency perhaps to think, oh man, what will I do? How, how am I to respond in all of this? But here's what I want you to know. You have the capacity for this because God has brought it to you. Ultimately, Ultimately, you, in your own strength, and your own ability, will fall short time after time. But God, by his grace, has made a way through Jesus so that we might hear his instruction, that we might know it, that we might make the choice to walk in it and then experience the blessing that comes. All of that because God loved us and he reached out to us. And even when we were trapped in our sin, even when we were in bondage to the consequences of our rebellion against God, he loved us and he made a way for us to be forgiven and set free through Jesus. And so fundamentally, first and foremost, the way that we respond to God is by trusting in Jesus, whom he sent on our behalf. And then by faith, as we've trusted in Jesus, we begin to walk in and discipline our choices, discipline our desires, bring things under submission of the Holy Spirit that we may experience the blessing of life through obedience to his word. May God use this to lead us closer to him and deeper in our walk with him as we respond to his truth today. Would you pray with me now? Lord, I pray that you would take this word today and that you would drive it home in our hearts.